Hello and welcome to the Save My Mental Health podcast for this week, or I guess welcome back because there's been intermittent hiatuses just based on my schedule and my lack of willingness to put out content, which happens from time to time. Not that I haven't felt like I have anything to say, but um, it's life just happens, and then there's also some semblance of wanting to rest, or we could, we'll just we could just qualify it as straight up laziness from time to time. Um, so it's gonna be my story part two. I don't know if this will be the last part. I don't know how far I'll get or when I'll feel like stopping, but. We'll just go with uh, part two for now. And I want to say the last one left off somewhere, somewhere around, um, I believe I was leaving the wilderness program or something of that nature and transitioning over to um, like a regular, like a regular boarding school. So I spent a year in the, the wilderness program environment or the, the associated boys home that was that was attached to it and then I went to a regular place and I, th- I may have talked about this in the last one but it was like college um, there was dorms there was it was uh, co-ed and completely different environment from what I was exposed to for the previous year and uh, there was a big transition so that school, I got in a lot of trouble at that place. Um, it was a religious organization, and I tried to push the boundaries of the rules any way I could. Still definitely dealing with a lot of anxiety um, and depressive cycles and, you know, just moving around a lot. Going to four different, four different high schools in four different states and different environments, very, very different environments every year. And then this one, there was a lot of freedom attached to it. There was... I carried on with drinking and doing all the stuff that I was that I was doing before. I almost got kicked out. Um, went on like a trip, like a senior trip to Canada or something, and I knew that you could you could legally drink there. So the first thing that I did when we when we got into Canada is I went to the bar. That's a very logical next step when I go somewhere that's drinking is legal and I'm 18 is to go to the bar. Went there for last call, um, and got in trouble for that. And. Uh, I was not allowed to go on the senior trip, the other senior trip, the next, like the main one or whatever you want to call it, to Orange County. I was sent home to Wisconsin for an out-of-school suspension for five days. So I basically just went home and played video games and watched movies. Um, And oddly enough, I live in Orange County now, so I lived here for 15 years or ish, 14 years. So I kind of got the last the last laugh in that one I didn't get to go on the senior trip but but I get to live here so um, that's a nice turn of events uh, so I, I just I pushed it every every way I could I don't know if I mentioned this in the last one but I did I did get engaged that year and it was like 18 getting engaged it was like the first the first credit card I ever had in my life was a store credit card at K Jewelers and uh, I ran that thing up immediately with a ring um, and impulsively got engaged and at the time to my to my credit i thought i was in love with this person and maybe i was at the time given the circumstances given my my scope of knowledge and given the environment and 
what I had experienced before that. What there wasn't a lot of connection slash love slash security or safety or um, nice feelings. Um, so that was a, a welcome uh, breath of fresh air at that point. And I ended up moving to um, Portland after that because it was in a small town in Oregon, the school. So I relocated to Portland to be with this person. And um, I think it lasted for another like four months or something after high school. And um, it just didn't, wasn't functional out in the real world. And I just, we just, I think our parents went along with it because they just, they, have the awareness they had the awareness of adults like being adults like they kind of knew this was going to be something that was probably gonna fade out and they were correct um it wasn't without its without the emotional um heartache or you know the emotional fallout of that situation was not great definitely didn't feel good to leave and then to do a uh, 34 four-hour car ride back to Wisconsin with my father, telling me I told you so the entire time, and uh, lecturing me on how he picks up my messes all the time in the car for 34 hours. There was a lot of junctures during that drive where I asked, are we there yet? And the, it was just, um, yeah, I don't ever want to do that again. I've uh, driven around America a few times, and I don't ever want to do it again. And any for any reason, um, I will always fly if I have to go somewhere other than California um, and then after moving back home I really didn't have any direction in my life I didn't know what I wanted to do I just I was I think I ended up working for um, my father's company for a while or the and the in the in a factory and it wasn't <laughs> that wasn't my wasn't my preferred destination either and went to visit a buddy of mine that lived in Michigan and he seemed like he, I mean, he was going to Michigan State. He had a really good thing going on there. He was in a fraternity, and, and I knew him from living in New York. And my family is good friends with his parents. So it seemed like a good location to place to go for me, like a good location that I could, that I could start my life in. So I kind of went there for a weekend, and then I went back home, and I kind of just figured out how to make it work so that I could go, I could move out there. The intention was to go to Michigan State University, which never ended up happening um, because I was too loaded on substances to make that work. I don't know if that was really that was a, I had the idea of that intention. I don't know if that was ever really my true intention. I really I didn't know what I wanted to do. So maybe it was maybe it wasn't. I don't know. But the way I know myself now is <clears throat> when I intend to do something or I put an intention out there, I follow through with it. So at the time, maybe I thought that's what I wanted to do or that's what I was going to do, but I really didn't think about how functional that was or what the steps would actually be that I would have to take to do it. Um, so when I moved out there, it was really just partying was really what was the upside to that. Um, and I kind of just modeled my life after this guy's life. And I got somehow got a bit into the fraternity um i don't know if that was through him or that was through some some other vehicle but i definitely i definitely made it sound like i was a promising community college student that was that was somehow misplaced and i was working on transferring over to michigan state which at the time was not true at all but i made it seem like that and i and i sold myself really well at the 
during the the rush week or whatever and ended up getting a bit in there without actually being in the university so I kind of got what I wanted without actually having to do the academic part which was for me was great although I did I did go to some classes <clears throat> at the university but I wasn't actually enrolled there it was more or less to kind of keep up with appearances and and to uh, bolster my dishonesty which which became a really a really a part of my existence it became second nature to me to be dishonest and there became a lot of emotional trauma there came a lot of physical trauma there came a lot of a lot of stuff with the choices I was making back at that time and um, to think about that now seems like a bad dream but it but it the things I'm not going to go into the specifics about about um, certain things just for the sake of um, not that's not necessary to know to know those things but suffice to say it was a really um, eye-opening period of years four years in fact and um, there wasn't <clears throat> to play a role in a life that's not actually yours for that long makes you feel it almost makes you believe like if you tell yourself a lie long enough you'll start to believe it and I lied everywhere I went every to myself to other people like it was just that was my existence I wanted that life so badly and I wanted to be a college student. I wanted to be in, in that school I wanted to be in college I wanted to do all these things and I didn't have the capability to do it back then because I was too, I was too high and I was too, I was drinking too much and I was, I was never good in school before that. I had zero confidence in my academic abilities back then. I knew that I was smart. I just didn't, I, I knew that I didn't know how to apply it and I knew that it wasn't, I wasn't good at it as it pertained to school. So I spent those four years partying and doing everything, living in the, I lived at the fraternity house. I just, I went to some community college classes, but I really, I couldn't even show up to those. And I would show up like two hours late uh, to a lecture and I would try to make a back end deal with the professor. Like if I, if I get a B or something or an A on the final, can, can that be my grade? And that, and they would say yes, probably knowing that I wasn't going to do that, uh, but they would let me make the deal anyways. And so... I would instill like false hope in myself that I was actually going to do that. And I would cram study and stay up all night and like do all this crazy shit to try to pass these tests that I knew nothing about in like classes like accounting or finance or whatever, you know, it's like, or biology, like I'm all of a sudden I'm going to absorb a bunch of biology information uh, overnight when I haven't done a single fucking thing all semester. That's not, uh, that's not how that works. So I don't know why the professors played along with that game, but maybe they felt bad for me. Maybe it was, maybe it was a pity opportunity. I don't know. But suffice to say, it didn't work out and I didn't pass. At some point I just stopped going uh, to the community college because it wasn't, I was getting what I wanted out of, you know, doing fraternity stuff and partying and being that guy and, um, you know, being near the Michigan State campus and like wearing the gear was enough for me to like solidify myself as a, <clears throat> in my own mind, that was what I was. And the, um, the way that I kept money coming in was that <clears throat> my family was under the impression that I was working. Uh, so I got a stipend amount of money because I was working to help, you know, with extra costs and like school and all that stuff. So I just kind of moved money around and made it work. Uh, but 
it wasn't going to the things that it was intended to go for and I definitely didn't have a job at that time either I would try to go to work and I would work for like a day and then I would I would walk off and I would quit because I couldn't I couldn't be consistent with anything and the the drug use and the drinking got very bad um definitely a poly substance abuse person if you're not familiar with that term it just means many substances so it's just a fancy clinical term that I like to use poly substance abuse and I was definitely into all substances with the exception of a few um I really didn't mess with uh methamphetamine and I or ever um I think that was the only substance I didn't mess with but everything else was fair game and I was and anything that I touched I became addicted to and um I would do whatever I needed to do to get the substances that I needed and to keep my lifestyle going and to keep the the appearances up and to keep everything kind of running in the direction that it was running and in the process like try to project that I was cool and I had everything together and I was you know I was this tough guy and I was all this stuff and and you know living like I said before living alive for that long is really taxing on you emotionally and um, when you tell yourself things long enough you start to believe them and I think I was dating this I was dating this this girl at the time and it took like it was like nine months into the relationship and just one day at lunch that I was having lunch with her and she kinda of looked across the table at me and she was like, You don't actually go to this university, do you? And I was like, Holy shit, how did you how did how did you figure that out? Where'd you where'd you hear that from? Who were you talking to? And she was like, Because you always drop me off at class and when I ask you where you're going, you don't have a class to go to. And I was like, That's a pretty good two plus two equals four situation there. I, I, I appreciate you doing the, doing the math on that and just realizing that I'm not, not really part of this, part of this university. So she started asking me questions. Where do you go? What do you do? And I, and so I had to like, it started to like deconstruct some of the stuff that I had built up or the lies that I'd built up in my own mind. And it started to make me feel sort of, um, anxious and off put and, uh, I started to feel threatened and I was, I started to get defensive and because, you know, when you construct a life for yourself and somebody starts to chip away at it and, and knows your reality more than you do or, or knows what your actual reality is, that, that sort of starts to like chip away at that a little bit. So, um, I did not appreciate that, that advance or those questions. Um, but you know, smart on her end to figure that out. So for me, that relationship, that person that I'm talking about, that relationship is probably one of the most traumatic slash toxic situations that I've ever been in on both ends. And just the, the things that I did and said and the things, the situations that I found myself in as a result of that and the the self-harm that I've engaged in, the the suicidal ideations that I've, that I had as a result of that, the the amount of energy and emotional expenses that I had in that situation... I'm surprised that it went on as long as it did because it was such a, it was the only person at that time that I really, that I had that kind of connection with or that I, that I perceived that I had that kind of connection with and it literally drove me insane. And I, I had no other frame of reference. I didn't know how to get out of that and whenever I talk to people about relationships, that that's kind of the one that I, that I, that I draw from in terms of what you don't want to do and also how, how the mind can get warped and how your perception can get warped based on, you know, the emotional investment you're making in somebody 
and them not knowing what to do with that and being emotionally immature on both ends and being vindictive and being spiteful and being hurtful and being mean and all these different things when you're in a very fragile spot already and then you mix in this thing that's very emotionally taxing but also rewarding at the same time it really sets a, a course for confusion um and that went on for like four years i think or something like that it, uh, that, that relationship i think was definitely a catalyst for me going to treatment for the first time um it was definitely part of that equation um i, I had never given myself to somebody like that because i'd never trusted anyone before that um with the exception of my parents but that at some point got lost as well so um this was kind of the first person after the uh, after all the stuff that i'd experienced leading up to that so i was carrying a lot of trauma with me i was carrying a lot of emotional baggage i was carrying a lot i was carrying a lot uh, let's just put it that way and then to top that off the drugs and the alcohol and all the stuff that i was involved with and the the violence and the fighting and all the shit that I was into at that time did not bode well for my relationship or trying to have like a relationship with this person. And, uh, the first time I went to treatment, you know, and there was, there was, there was just a lot of hurtful shit that happened and going to treatment the first time. Um, I remember for my, I spent, it was my 22nd birthday. Um, and I was in treatment on my 22nd birthday, and then I spent the next year on my 23rd birthday also in the same rehab on the same couch. And I remember that because I got a call from, from her, both of those instances and those times, um, trying to reach back out. And I actually, the first time after treatment, I moved back to the Midwest, and I moved, I moved in with her and her family. And I think I started drinking in like two weeks after I moved back there. And um, it was... A disaster um, to say the least but that didn't stop me from packing up my car and driving halfway across the United States from California to um, the Midwest to, to try to make that work and try to to recapture what what I thought we had or the projected future that I thought we could have and it just didn't work and we didn't work as people and I wasn't a whole person at the time and I didn't know how to be in a relationship <clears throat> Excuse me, my throat is dry from talking all week. Um, so, um, excuse me if I need to. I have water and coffee next to me. So, after I moved, I, I interestingly enough had fraternity brothers that were living in the city in the Midwest that I was living near at the time when I moved back in with her, I moved in with her and her family. And then I started hanging out with those guys when things started to go sideways with her. And it started the, the drugs all over again, cause I'd already been drinking. And that's kind of how I learned how addiction worked for me and that I can't have one thing. It can't be compartmentalized and part of me. I can't drink over here and then do this over here. I can't drink over here and then not do this over here. It's all, it all, all funnels from one center of myself, and that's that's the addictive part of me. And once one switch is flipped, they all get switched. They all get all the switches get flipped at some point. And I've seen that so many times. I just know that that's what happens, and I know that I could never touch a substance again because I know that's where where I'm going to go. And so, when the drugs started to come back into the picture, it started to get really, really. Um, dicey really fast and I had 
had an opportunity to have a job in the same type of field that my father was working in, which was like this big corporation that was this ink company that did like graphic design stuff. And so he got me this job, like a, like a, a big boy job. And I wasn't ready for one of those. And it, it was really hard to show up to that place. Um, so I had to get up at like five o'clock in the morning to be to work by seven, which I know some people will be like, you have to get up. I just, I don't do well in the morning. Maybe nobody does. Maybe, maybe some people do. I don't know. I don't, I don't function at that hour. Like even being able, I don't think I should be driving a vehicle when I'm in that frame of mind that early on. I'm not awake. Like I, I don't, I'm not, I wasn't awake till like nine or 10. That's when I felt like I came to, cause I was up all night doing Coke and drinking. Like there's no, there's no way that I should have been in a car, but I was going to work. I was trying to be a good boy and go to work and I did it for a while and I did it for a while and I got, I had my own apartment then after a while living with her family and but I was doing drugs all the time. We were drinking really heavily together as well. She was definitely a drinker and um, we brought that out in each other, but all with that came anger and spitefulness and pridefulness and egoism and all sorts of nasty stuff as well. And so when I transitioned out of that environment to my apartment at the time, I decided to lease like this really fancy SUV and like get myself a nice car payment because that's what you do when you start making money and you're working a job. Like I feel like I need to treat myself. And so I got this huge lease for this ridiculous SUV. And um, I was doing things like having <laughs> having limousines come to my apartment complex to pick up me and my friend so that we could do drugs on the way to the bar in the mid in the city in the midwest um it was in it was in chicago so i was taking these i would have like limousine i didn't i would order like multiple limousines at a time and i would have them line up and then i would decide which one i wanted to take to the city that night it was like a thursday just so i could say it's a third i'm taking a limousine because it's a thursday because i was that was like my projection of being cool or or having my shit together i don't know it was really just to do drugs in the limousine on the way to the bar which there's no point to that and i couldn't afford it so it was really stupid but it didn't stop me from doing it because i was very impulsive and probably needed psychotropic medication but it wouldn't have necessarily worked anyways because I was on drugs all the time. So, and so it started to, this relationship started to unravel really, really quickly. And then I started to put more into the time with the friends and the job got harder to show up to. And um, at some point I just stopped going. I couldn't show up to work. And I would, I would made every excuse in the, in the book that you could possibly think of. I made so many excuses that being a graphic design company, somebody was creative enough to make a large, fully functional pinwheel that had all the excuses that I had made, which I thought at the time were like private information between myself and my, my direct boss. Apparently they were not, and they were color coded and it was, it was, it was a large pinwheel because I had made a lot of excuses. There was a lot of family deaths at the time. There was a lot of, I had a lot of shit going on. And I made up a lot of stuff and somebody made it with like a little, like a little arrow, you know, like the wheel of fortune, a wheel, when they spin it, it has like that little, that little, um, 
little thing on it that stops so wherever whatever uh, dollar amount they're gonna get or they could get if they if they get the letter and it stopped on like a on like an excuse so people would spin it to see what excuse I was gonna make up for that day and I got called into this guy's office and he basically just said you know I can't have this here and I was I got at first I got upset and I said I think it's really I, I think it's illegal for you to share my private information with people and also I have a lot of terrible things happening in my life like how dare somebody do that and he kind of looked at me with this look like we both you and I both know that you're full of shit and that this is doing people are doing this because you're not showing up to work and um, they're not happy about it because they have to work with you or not work with you because that's what because you're not here and he said he gave me like an ultimatum and said I can't do this we can't do this and this can't happen and um, and I was like I agree and so I I was good for a little while and then I just I, I just couldn't do it and at some point when I eventually like surrendered myself for treatment for the second time I was like I had to call my boss and I said I, and I told him exactly what was going on and I said, I'm going to get treatment. And I said, I'm, I'm really in a bad spot. And I've been using again. I've been drinking. He's like, I know. And I, and I was like, huh. I was like, how do you know that? And he said, because I've been sober for, I think he said like 16 years or something. So he said, I knew, I knew the whole time. And I, you know, as, as somebody with addiction, I think I'm pretty, I think I'm pretty fucking clever. I think I'm smart. And I think that nobody knows what's going on with me and that I can conceal myself really well. I can, I can hold my lies really well and I can carry myself well with that. But what people see is, I mean, now what I know now, knowing what I know now and like working with clients and like seeing things, seeing things the way that I see things now and the perspective that I have now because I've, because I've been sober for so long and because I've worked on myself so consistently, you can see right through people in like five seconds. It's not hard at all. Uh, no matter what people try to hide, they will tell you everything you need to know and they will show you what you need to see very quickly. It's not hard. And so I was wearing this stuff on my sleeve without even knowing it, thinking that I was some like great hider or like defending, defending my, my inner demons really well. And I, I just, I wasn't. And he like wished me luck and said, you know, I hope you get better and I hope you get well. And I was staring out the window at this huge SUV that I bought with this big payment. And I called my family and I said, you know, I have two things to tell you. One is that I got a new car and I have a lease that I completely can't afford. And I also need to go to rehab again for the second time. So I went back to the same place that I had gone previously um, a year apart on my 22nd birthday and then my 23rd birthday. And um, some things, some really nasty things happened in this relationship that I was in. And that was another, again, a catalyst two years in a row at the same exact time for me to go back to the same place in the same county, in the same state, to go get treatment again for the same substances that I was always using. And you would think that would be enough of an indicator for me, and I guess it was this time, but the same, you know, the same call came through the same day on my birthday, and like, you know, just just hearing her voice on the phone, or like, just, and it just, eventually it kind of, it faded away. And I did not get sober at that time. That was, I, got, I actually got kicked out of treatment that time. And I then spent the next year using and drinking and doing everything that I'd done everywhere else in the United States. Uh, but in California, I just re, I take myself wherever I go, there I am. And I take myself with me. 
and I didn't make any changes in rehab. And the minute I got kicked out, I started, I knew a buddy from boarding school in, in Oregon who lived in Orange County. We started smoking pot together immediately. He was there immediately to help me pick up the pieces with marijuana. <clears throat> and that started a year long uh, bender that he was a part of. And um, we were no longer friends after that bender. Because uh, there was a lot of shit that happened in between when he initially picked me up when I got kicked out and, you know, him helping me and then us getting an apartment together and, like, all this stuff. A lot of stuff happened there, which I'll get into probably the next time or the next episode next week. I'm going to try to make a pact with myself to do this every week because this is not only for myself, but just for putting this information out there. If somebody wants to listen to a very candid description of addiction and alcoholism and mental health stuff and how do you... How do you come from situations that are hopeless and seemingly um, definitely headed in the direction of death to being healthy and having your shit together and being able to be comfortable in your skin? And that's something that I can definitely help point you in the direction of <clears throat> with everything that I've experienced and the way that my life is now. So I think I'm going to stop there. So this is leading up to right before I got sober and this isn't like... Um, 2008, so like the summer of 08, and then I didn't end up getting sober until December 17th of 2008. Um, so I'm going to leave you there. And if you need addiction help, there are so many resources online. Don't hesitate to Google things. You know, that's something that I do still myself, even though I know, I know where to go for this particular issue. I know where to go for mental health stuff. But the sources that I use for that are Google. I look up treatment centers in wherever, California, Orange County, Los Angeles, um, wherever you find yourself. I think Florida and California are the two biggest places that have treatment centers because they have, you know, nice weather. Although Florida is a little, a little more humid uh, with some more bugs. But nonetheless, still treatment centers, whichever, whichever coast. Um, and psychologytoday.com is another resource for therapists, psychiatrists. You can put in your insurance carrier and it'll tell you who covers that. And if the person, the, the clinician or the practitioner takes it, uh, they will tell you that. And I think they changed the suicide hotline to 988. I'm going to look that up after this and probably, hopefully I'm not wrong, but you can push that. It's like 911 for regular emergencies, but you push 988. Um, you know what? Let me <laughs> let me Google that so that's not wrong. I don't want that to be wrong. So bear with me. Aside from that, always talk to people. Um, <clears throat> always have somebody that's in your life that you can talk to about whatever, because that's the thing that saved me the most is having. Oh, it is nine eight eight. I was correct. Okay, so I don't have to. Okay, nine eight eight. Suicide hotline, like 911, but for mental health emergencies. Don't hesitate to use that. But like I was saying, always have somebody to talk to. I've always had friends in my life that I can tell anything to, that I can trust. It's good to have a small, close-knit circle of people that you can talk to and that you can trust. Those are going to be the people that are there for you. Also, the spirituality piece of it too. Meditation and um, some form of prayer and just understanding like my connection to the universe and the world around me and, and all those things are also helpful. Um, the type of meditation music I listen to is called ambient, um, relaxation, I think is the 
playlist I listen to on uh, Spotify. So something of that nature, something that that gets into your brain and like makes you allows you to check out from your normal uh, thought train. So thank you for your time and listening to my my uh, my story in multiple parts, and we'll pick up pick up where I got sober um, next week. All right, thank you for your time. <laughs>